crowd of the news cycle these days can be relentless. Let us help you with that. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings, host of The Big Story, Canada's most interesting daily news podcast. Every day, we stop that news cycle in its tracks and examine one big story in depth, something that matters to Canadians. You can find The Big Story every morning for free at Frequency Podcast Network or wherever you get your podcasts. Find your frequency. You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production. On Thursday... Russian President Vladimir Putin vowed his war against Ukraine would not stop until he had total control of the region. And in the United States, Congress was busy trying to find last-ditch ways to help Ukraine against Putin and Russia. High above it all, meanwhile, Russians and Americans and other nationalities, including soon a Canadian, just worked together. No wars, no accusations, no threats. As the globe becomes increasingly fractured and dangerous, the International Space Station and the quest for the stars in general becomes one of the last non-political endeavors left. While Canada may be criticized for its minimal defense budget, for its lack of effectiveness in foreign policy and other earthly political failings. In space, we punch above our weight. We always have. And in the next couple of years, we're about to land some big blows in the name of universal wonder. Today, we speak to a Canadian astronaut about the future of space exploration and his upcoming trip to the ISS. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. Josh Kutrick is a Canadian astronaut, an engineer, and a pilot, and in 2025, an occupant on the International Space Station. Hello, Josh. Good morning. Can you start, maybe, uh, because I imagine it it was a pretty exciting moment, by by taking us back to the moment where you learned uh, that you would be going on this mission, going to space for the first time? Take us there. Who told you? What was it like? What was your reaction? The space agency told me, I guess, um, actually quite a while ago, a number of months ago now. For me, I mean, it's a, it's a little bit of a mix because on one hand, this is something I've been dreaming about for a long, long time, exploring space, going to space, exploring really. And so it's, it's very fulfilling every time we take a, a big step closer to that. At the same time, though, I've been preparing, I've been training for years. I mean, I moved to Houston in 2017, so... In some ways, a lot has changed. In other ways, not a lot has changed. But it always feels, I say, first and foremost, exciting. And then also proud to be Canadian, proud to be wearing the red maple leaf. I I still think it's remarkable that our little country plays such a role in these big expeditions. What does that prep look like? You mentioned you've been preparing since 2017. Um, Give us a little bit of a sense of of what you have to do uh, to get yourself chosen for one of these missions. I mean, to, to back it all the way up, of course, you have to be selected in, initially by the Canadian Space Agency for the job. And that's a, a very rigorous process, takes place over the course of about 12 months, 12 months of, of testing, uh, you know, having a look at you in every way possible and having a look at your background and everything you've done in your life professionally and personally as well, I would say. 
Uh, I did that selection twice, once in 08 and 09 when I was not selected. And then I tried again in 16 and I was selected with Jenny. So it started there. Uh, Jenny and I moved to Houston with Johnson Space Center. And we basically go back to school. We did three years of in-depth training as a student to earn the qualification of basically a, a certified NASA astronaut. So that's three years. Then we continue to train, but we start to mix it in with more technical work, jobs that are done by astronauts at the Johnson Space Center. And it's sort of a mix of on-the-job training and technical training continued. Um, And then you get to this phase where I'm at, where you go back to training full-time. And now it's it's, uh, specific training specific for the mission that we're going to be doing. So in my case, training specifically related to the Starliner 1 vehicle, which will be operating for its its first long duration mission and then all the technical science training related to running operating and conducting research on the international space station a lot of training though you know <laughs> it's, it's basically about four or five years worth you mentioned you've been dreaming of exploring uh, and exploring space specifically for a long time i know you come from a uh, a cattle farm in alberta um do you remember dreaming about going to space back then and uh and how does somebody from uh, a small cattle farm in Alberta end up on the International Space Station? I do remember. I, I remember wanting to do this my entire life. I couldn't even tell you when exactly it started. Some of my earliest memories are uh, just always of being curious. I, You know, the night sky in Alberta is still one of my most favorite things to look at out away from the city. It's awe-inspiring. It was for me as a child. It still is. And so I remember being very curious about that. I I've always been very enthusiastic, fascinated by this idea of exploring. So exploring oceans, exploring the North and South Poles, exploring aerospace, and now, of course, exploring space. I always had, you know, those two elements as a passion, I would say. I remember one of my earliest probably space memories was seeing images um, from the Voyager probe come back. This Mm. is in the 80s. and, And of course, that went has gone all the way out of the solar system. But, you know, seeing images come back of another world kind of motivated me, fed into that passion, and and it started. I've It is something I've thought about my whole life. What exactly will you be doing uh, on this mission, first of all, in getting up there, but, but secondly, you're going to spend six months uh, on the ISS. While you're there, what kind of tasks uh, do you do? Are you just doing maintenance all day to, to keep it working, or are you doing research as well? Like, give me a sense of, of what this mission is all about. So the mission itself is a long-duration exploration science mission. It's six months in microgravity. And if we wanted to split it into two main categories, I'm getting ready to do scientific research that can only be done in the environment of space. It'll be scientific experiments, research done on behalf of investigators, professors, scientists from across Canada, but also from around the world. And so, of course, there's a lot of training that goes into that. We have to learn the science. We have to learn how to do it on their behalf. The second element, though, is, as you alluded to, it's operating the station itself. This is a ginormous machine. It's the size of a football field. It's immensely complicated. Uh, To me, probably one of the most complex systems humanity has ever built. And we have to be experts in that, in in everything, in the plumbing, the electric, the power generation. Mm. And we have to be able to operate it, fix it, replace parts, uh, go outside the station, do spacewalks. Um, all of that. So it's kind of a time split between scientific research, uh, demoing new technologies, and then 
just running the place, operating the station and all of its systems. You mentioned you're going up on the Starliner 1. Um, I think that that's its first voyage in this capacity. First of all, what's unique about this ship? What's important about it? But second of all, any trepidation about uh, being one of the first to use uh, a new ship that's never gone this far before? Yeah, so I I would start by saying uh, that I feel immensely grateful to to have the opportunity. I'm I'm right where I want to be personally, and uh, I also think as a space agency, as a country, we're right where we want to be, which is on the very leading edge. To back it up a little bit, Starliner is one of two vehicles that uh, have been built by commercial companies in the U.S. as part of a an effort to commercialize low Earth orbit. The first was SpaceX. They've been flying for a few years with Dragon. Uh, this is built by Boeing. It's a few years later in development, so it has not flown with crew yet. It's supposed to do a short couple day long test flight here in April of 2024. And if that goes well, then our crew would take it on the first uh, expedition, the first operational flight uh, to the space station for six months and back. So a lot of our effort is centered on that. A lot of our job is all about Starliner. It's about getting the vehicle ready to fly this first long duration expedition. And it's about getting ourselves familiar with the vehicle and ready to operate it. But for me as a Someone who comes from a, a test pilot background, I love that. It's it's my passion. I feel very grateful to have the opportunity. And the second part of your question about the risk, of course, that that is the guiding challenge. That's what defines our our jobs as astronauts. It's to manage that risk and prepare and to mitigate it. And um, no, of, of course, it's not trivial. Space flight is still extremely risky and extremely dangerous. And to do it on a on a vehicle that still hasn't flown with crew, of course, is is even more so. But I would tell you that uh, for myself and and the other crewmates who will be who will be in that vehicle with me, that's something we're passionate about. This is what we like to do, and and we look forward to doing it. And I know that you had a third element in your question there, which was what makes this unique. Uh, a couple things. It, it's brand new. Uh, it can do some some pretty neat things in orbit that other spacecraft can't do. It's also the first one that's going to land on land. So uh, Dragon and the moon ship, Orion, they splash down in the water. Uh, we're going to land on land in the, the desert of New Mexico using a, a pretty neat system of parachutes and uh, giant airbags, actually, huh. uh, which is is a challenge, but it's also a, it's a big, it's a good step forward. It opens up a lot of possibility and flexibility if you have a a spacecraft from an operational point of view that you can land uh, where you want to on firm soil instead of the ocean. The news cycle these days can be relentless. Let us help you with that. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings, host of The Big Story, Canada's most interesting daily news podcast. Every day, we stop that news cycle in its tracks and examine one big story in depth, something that matters to Canadians. You can find The Big Story every morning for free at Frequency Podcast Network or wherever you get your podcasts. Find your frequency. 
when you get to the ISS, um, obviously you've got a mission to do, you've got the maintenance work to do, as we discussed, uh, but uh, how do you prepare um, mentally for spending uh, six months? You mentioned it's huge. It's the size of a football field. That's still not very big if it's your world for half a year. What kind of mental preparations uh, does the space agency have you do? Uh, what kind of training do you get in that area? Yeah, it's a really good question. I'm glad you asked because a, a lot of times people don't think about that. And from the point of view of preparing people to go there, um, that's one of our bigger challenges, I would say. And just for context, maybe the space station itself, the size of a football field, most of that is uh, mechanical structure, you know, solar panels, for example. Um, the pressurized volume, the living quarters, per se, where the crew lives, eats, does science all day, uh, you'd probably want to think about kind of the the first story a floor in a in a modern average sized house say in Toronto and it's all of course closed spaces it's it's like living in tubes so uh, you're going to live in very close quarters with people uh, there's not a lot of windows you can't leave if you get upset with with your your friends or if there's interpersonal conflicts there's nowhere to go um, you have to deal with it and of course there's the mental aspect of leaving the planet i mean i have deployed in the military a number of times. I've, I've gone to austere places for six or seven months at a time, uh, but this is going to be a little bit different. We're, we're leaving the planet. We're going to look back and see uh, planet Earth, and there's no way to, to come home to it hmm. until the end of the mission. So the mental aspect is certainly a big challenge. Um, how do we prepare? So we try to spend a lot of time in space analog environments. And I'll, I'll give you one example. I spent uh, three weeks a little while ago underground Europe, several hundred meters under the surface in a, in a cave system that is relatively unexplored. I was with a crew of international astronauts, and we were doing science biology for, for principal investigators from Europe. We were mapping the cave, so, so exploring it. But we were really just living. We were just living in an environment that is extremely high risk, high consequence, where there's no margin for error, for mistakes. And so we do that. We go into places like that. We use, we use the ocean floor underwater as another example. Um, and we just try to get used to that idea of living in extreme isolation in living in environments characterized, like I said, by uh, high risk, high consequence, where you can't make a mistake and where you have to function at a, a very high level from a teamwork capacity with whoever it is that you're there with. You mentioned interpersonal relations, and one of the dynamics I am fascinated by is the ISS is probably now the lone place where American and Canadian and Russian scientists are uh, working together, uh, working to keep each other alive. Given all the geopolitical tensions in the world right now, what's that like? What do they tell you about that? And, and what are you expecting or have you heard from other astronauts? Uh, it is a, a challenging landscape geopolitically, of course, in the world right now. Um, we are still getting the job done in orbit. And, you know, I, I would tell you that from an operator perspective, Canadian Space Agency, it, its partners, NASA, uh, yes, Russia, several European countries, Japan, we all remain very determined, uh, I guess, and committed to maintaining and operating this outpost, the space station, uh, as safely and effectively as we can. And we have that as a guiding principle that has so far overridden all the, the geopolitical concerns we have here on Earth. And that principle is to, to keep it going and to, to prioritize above all else the safety of the station, the safety of the astronauts who are living there, regardless of where they come from. 
Um, and so, so far that has carried us. And personally, I'm, I'm grateful for that, uh, of course, but I'd, I would also say I hope that we're all grateful for it. I mean, the space station is a one-of-a-kind thing. It has only been built because we, we were able to do it with international collaboration. Uh, otherwise, it wouldn't exist. And, and we should be grateful for the fact that, that we did that, that we have it, because it is a, a laboratory. It's a place where we can do science that we cannot do any, anywhere else. It has delivered to us, and I'm using us in the, the biggest sense of the word, the world, it's delivered to us scientific discovery and research, new technologies that have made life better for, for millions of people. And we wouldn't have that if we didn't do it. So I'm grateful for the fact that, that we're, we're still going, we're still prioritizing it, we're still using that principle of, of assuring above all else that it, it remains a safe place to do research and uh, technology development. To me, it's like a beacon of, of hope, of mm. positivity. We get drowned out sometimes in the negativity down here but it's uh, it's inspiring to me even as an astronaut to look up and and see that despite all the chaos down here we have this amazing demonstration of human cooperation and and persistence flying around at tens of thousands of miles an hour and uh, we did this as a as an effort from all around the world i think it i think it's awesome and i hope it inspires us to to do it again in the future in terms of our own space program, you've mentioned a couple times that, you know, we're kind of punching above our weight um, when it comes to uh, sending astronauts and developing technology and making contributions. Um, what do you see in the future? I mean, your colleague is already going to go uh, around the moon. Um, your colleague is backing him up and, and you're going to the ISS. Uh, where do you realistically see Canadians going in space during our lifetimes? Well, it's it's a certainty now. Uh, it appears that we're going to the moon, and for me, as a never mind as an astronaut, but just as a Canadian, that's a point of extreme pride. Um, as you mentioned, we have always been there on the very leading edge with NASA of some of the most adventurous and um, and difficult exploration missions that humanity's ever done. We were a prime partner when we had this idea on the, on a whiteboard of building an international space station back more than two decades ago, we are still a prime partner on that. I mean, Canada's contributions, the robotic technology we've invented, innovated in this country is, is unique in the world. It put the station together. The station depends on that, depends on Canada every single day. We're, we're right in the middle of the critical path uh, with low Earth orbit. And to your question, we're also now right on the critical path to humanity's return to the moon. Uh, we're building the robotic systems that will put the Gateway Space Station together in uh, lunar orbit. And because of that contribution, because of what we're, we're developing, yes, Jeremy's flying uh, back to the moon on Artemis II, which if you step back and think about it is is amazing. I mean, this is the first time anyone's gone back to the moon since Apollo. It's the first time anyone from the, the world will go to the moon who's not a United States citizen. And from the whole world, it's it's Canada that's taking that seat. So where is it going to go? I, you know, NASA's ultimate objective is Mars. And um, I think that that's on the horizon if if we do everything just right, if we make the right decisions and prioritize the right things, that's something that, that's in the cards for, for the next generation. And yeah, I'm, I'm anxious to see it all happen. Josh, thank you so much for this and uh, best of luck uh, preparing and then going to space. 
Pleasure to talk about space always, so thanks for having us. Canadian astronaut Josh Kutrick. That was The Big Story. For more from us, head to thebigstorypodcast.ca starting next week. We have a little treat for you. Before the end of the year, this episode was a little taste of it. Next week, our last year of new episodes until 2024 is full of good news. Like, that's it. Just good news. No wars, no threats, no climate disaster, nothing. Just things that you may not know, but mean that we're not headed for the edge of a cliff yet. You can find The Big Story wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to talk to us, you know how to do it by now. You can head to The Big Story FPN on Twitter. You can email us, hello at thebigstorypodcast.ca. And of course, you can call 416-935-5935. Joseph Fish is the lead producer of The Big Story. Robin Simon is also a producer on this program. Mary Jubrin is our digital editor. Diana Kay is our manager of business development. Stephanie Phillips is our showrunner. Mark Angley and Christian Prohome handled our sound design this week. And I am your host and executive producer, Jordan Heath-Rawlings. We have In This Economy for you tomorrow, a very appropriate episode for the holiday spending season about how to live with debt, since these days it's impossible to live without it. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back with a big story on Monday. The news cycle these days can be relentless. Let us help you with that. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings, host of The Big Story, Canada's most interesting daily news podcast. Every day, we stop that news cycle in its tracks and examine one big story in depth, something that matters to Canadians. You can find The Big Story every morning for free at Frequency Podcast Network or wherever you get your podcasts. Find your frequency.